The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The Everyday Wealth Radio Show and podcast are produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Ms. Chatsky and Ms. O'Brien are not employees or clients of the firm. They receive fixed cash compensation for acting as hosts and related activities and therefore have an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everyday-wealth. The 2021 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm Ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory records, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2021 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien personal finance expert Gene Chatsky, and Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner Jason Cowens. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky, Soledad O'Brien, and Jason Cowens. So we all watched as the world really mourned Queen Elizabeth II's passing. Her reign, which was over more than 70 years, had significant global impacts that will, of course, be part of her ongoing legacy. But one thing that we'll never really fully know are all the details of her will and how her personal fortune, which is guesstimated to be around $630 million, might be divided by her son, now the king, Charles III, and her three other children. Now, most of us won't be in a position to inherit a monarchy or even that big chunk of money, um, but actually large and sometimes unexpected inheritances happen every single day. In fact, 30 trillion, trillion with a T, that's the amount of money that baby boomers are expected to transfer to younger generations over the next two decades. What if, in fact, you're the one who's inheriting? What if I told you that one in three Americans who gets an inheritance actually blows it? Hi, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'm Jason Cowens. And I'm Jean Chatsky. And you're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Soledad, those statistics on inheritances gone wrong, they are just nuts. I mean, clearly people do not know what to do when this money falls into their hands. And sometimes people make these snap, very emotional decisions. And before they know it, the money is just gone. So many times it's tied to that knee-jerk reaction. They've received a large sum and they don't know what to do with it. There's this unique phenomenon called sudden money syndrome. That sounds like that should be the best thing that's ever happened in your life. You know, I was hit with sudden money syndrome and now I'm living my best life. Why is that actually so bad? Well, I mean, because it's tied to the emotion. Like for many people, they receive this money and you have to think about where they got it. There's sometimes death involved. So they think about the guilt. Why me? Why them? And then they start to think, well, this isn't really my money. It's fun money. And they do extravagant things too early and they just don't know what to do and they change and they become fearful. I know it sounds good, sudden money, but it has a lot of repercussions. I have seen this in my own life, not that I've been the inheritor, but my mother, who I think will be fine with me talking about this on the air, I hope, my mother has lost two husbands. And after both 
deaths, she found herself spending a lot of money. There was a big hole, a big sadness, and she didn't do anything irresponsible. She was careful with the money that she knows that she needs for her future, but she bought us really expensive gifts. She spent money on travel, and she'll acknowledge this. She went a little crazy with the spending. Oftentimes, we really need to look at the emotion of this money. Let's take a step back. Let's have a cooling off period. Let's really think this through and really decide how do you make this make sense for you, your kids, your charities, what have you. So what other things have you seen in your clients, um, Jason, that that are emotional and that have kind of gone wrong? A client received a, a very decent amount of money. It wasn't yacht money, but it was a, a life-changing number. And she really felt guilty on getting the money from her grandparents and her mother got nothing. And so now she has this money and her and her siblings are really saying, we need to make sure mom wants something. The mom was angry she didn't get money and wanted nothing to do. So the kids tried to help out their mother. She wanted no part of it. I, I don't want that damn money. That was her logic. So we had to go through the daughter receiving the money, now trying to do something nice and being told no. So we had to deal with that guilt. And then we had to talk about she wanted to see that money go generationally. So really looking at how does she make it where that money went from her grandparents down to her kids, but not do it frivolously, not buy expensive cars. So really it was coming up with a plan on how do we look at education if that's priority? How do we need cash reserves? But really make it where this is a substantial enough money that it's changed your trajectory And you can go one of two ways. You can lose it or you can invest it. You can use it. You can donate it. You can make sure that you're coming up with a game plan that you don't let your guilt prevent you from making a successful transition. We're talking with Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner, Jason Cowens. And Jason, how much was it? It was 400,000. Oh, that's a big chunk of money. Especially if you've never had that kind of money before. You know, you've you've always seen in those whodunit movies like Knives Out, by the way, amazing movie, where, you know, a spoiled grandkid has been spending his inheritance well before he actually gets his inheritance. And I get it. It's fiction. But it has to happen in the real world, too, where people go nuts because they think something is coming down the pike and, you know, they don't actually have any legal right to it at that point. Right. You should never assume you're getting anything. Like, even if you're the executor of your parents' estate and you know where every penny is, what if their later years of health erode the wealth? Underassume. Do not put that number in your plan because you're setting yourself up for failure. Counting the chickens before they've hatched is a recipe for disaster. I think when this sort of money comes your way, it offers an opportunity to take a look at your goals, those goals that you've laid out for yourself, and ask if this windfall allows you to shift the timing or shift the scope or come up with some new goals entirely, right? Oh, absolutely. Once you have the money and it's in in your hands, now we can assess because for some people, a few hundred thousand dollars may allow them to retire earlier or pay for Stanford for their kids. Are we paying off debt? Are we helping you buy a second home? Once you actually have the money and we can look at your new trajectory. So part of my job is really saying, let's start fresh. Let's go through this together. I know it's difficult. I know you feel like there's a lot of pressure on you. Crawl before you walk, walk before you run. And I know it's going to be emotional. And I know there's going to be times when you, you think that you're doing things wrong and you have no idea what's going on. If we can come up with a baseline, 
We can go step one, step two. You don't have to do all 10 things at once. Let's do the first two. Coming up with that roadmap, that is a critical piece for clients to kind of get that emotion out of the way and see one pinpoint on their journey to focus on, not all the pieces. I like that because you're giving people permission to do something. I mean, one of the pieces of advice I've often heard when you get a windfall or you get an inheritance is you should do nothing Yes, for, for six months to a year. And I think that's great, but I also think for a lot of people, it's just not possible. Yes. And it's not possible because often if you get a windfall, um, this happened when my parents passed away. Everybody starts asking you to donate and dedicate and do this. And then other people are like, well, you should buy this. And, you know, you've always wanted that. And isn't it time to get an RV and a vacation home? And I mean, really, literally, it just happens pretty fast. And so when you tell people to do nothing, but the world around them is saying, do this, do this, know this, know this, know this. I, I think it's really helpful to have that list. Like you said, you're in truly a vulnerable state. And those are the Klingons. It is unfortunately usually family who know the size. They want their cut. They want to say, I have this great idea. I'm your family member. You can trust me. Run away from that person. And that's the role that I try to bring to be the bad guy. Go, hey, I have to talk to Jason. Let me see what Jason says. And I don't care if I know about it or not. Use me as your shield. That can be your chance to take a step back Really think about it. Come back to the game plan because it's a very hard conversation. This is where a wealth planner can help. This is a great opportunity that if you've never sat down with somebody, get another set of eyeballs. And right now, if you call us at 833-PLAN-EFE, either me or one of my 300 colleagues, more than happy to help because this is uncharted territory for most people. And just getting another fresh perspective often helps people make that first step very easy. I knew someone who purchased a racehorse, which had they asked me, I would have advised against. But but actually, the issue, of course, was not just the money, but the upkeep. It doesn't end with just buying a thing that eats while you sleep. Once you've spent through that money, you actually have to think about the cost of keeping up this expensive purchase that you've invested in. I see why sometimes people run through this money, Jason. Well, an easier one. I mean, I've always wanted to own rental property. Well, if you've never owned a rental property, there's the terrible tease. Toilets, tenants, trouble. You have to think that through. Oh, God, I'm in the middle of that. Yes. <laughs> Toilets, tenants, trouble. I, I'm going to hold on to that one. If you've never owned a rental property, you don't think through all the little things. Hey, I got a call at 2 a.m. My AC is not working. They've liked the idea of owning real estate. And as my job, it's to walk them down the path. Let's think about all the maintenance costs, all the headaches. Is this really something you want to do? And we're going to continue this conversation because... Over the next 20 years, a lot of people have big decisions to make. When we get back, we'll focus more on what to do if you're the one getting an inheritance. I'm Jean Chatsky with Soledad O'Brien and Jason Cowens. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth, and we'll be right back. It's no secret the market's been volatile, and now we're hearing talk of the R word, recession. With all this uncertainty, one thing's clear. It's a great time to talk to an experienced wealth planner. At Edelman Financial Engines, we'll show you smart steps you can take in today's market and mistakes to avoid. Move forward with confidence. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to connect with a wealth planner. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. 
Did you know that studies have shown 70% of the time, hard-earned wealth and assets, they are just wiped out from one generation to the next. 90% of the time, they don't make it to the third generation at all. It is that old saying, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations come to life. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. I'm here with Soledad O'Brien and Jason Cowens. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. We have been talking about the emotional side of getting an inheritance because quite frankly, it's more often that our emotions are the things that make us make bad decisions. But the other side of the equation is that when you get an inheritance, there are some technical moves you need to make in order to make sure that the money does its best work. So let's talk a little bit about that. In order to end up not blowing through your inheritance, you obviously need some kind of a plan. So so Jason, walk us through that conversation you have with uh, the clients who suddenly have inherited some kind of money one way or another. So it really is going to depend on the source. Did it come from an inherited IRA? cash, life insurance, annuity, real estate, stock. We need to take a look at what the source is so we can really discuss what are the tax implications, what's the speed to get to it, things like that. So let's start with an inherited IRA. I mean, what are some of the things, if that is what you receive as an inheritance, that you need to be aware of? Well, the first thing, because of the uh, SECURE Act from uh, 2020, we really need to look at what the process is, whether you're a spouse or a child, to look at the 10-year strategy. We need to determine how are you going to use that money that's coming out of the IRA, because really, when you inherit the IRA, we effectively have to look at the tax implications. Now, because of the 10-year rule, an easy example is, if you're retiring in five years and possibly going to be in a lower tax bracket, maybe the strategy is you don't take any money out of the inherited IRA for the first five years while you're in a higher tax bracket. But day one of retirement, when you're possibly in a lower bracket and we have five years left of that 10-year strategy, those may be the cheapest tax years to really start to use the income from that traditional IRA that you inherited. And similarly, if you inherited a Roth IRA, the beauty about inheriting a Roth IRA, when you take the money out, it's tax-free. So you still have to adhere to the same 10-year rule, but the reality is maybe you wait the entire 10 years and in that final 10th year, when hopefully it's grown, tax deferred, that's the year you take it all out of the Roth IRA and it's still tax-free. Let's say it's not a Roth. Let's say it's a traditional inherited IRA and it came from somebody who's older than I am. Whose age is factored into that required minimum distribution? Is it theirs or is it mine? If they're older than 72, the first thing we have to worry about is did they fulfill their own RMD? So at 72, they had to start taking money out of their their IRA. We have to make sure their RMD is met that first year. If you're the spouse and receive it, it now goes on your age as the spouse. If they are you know, 10 years older than you, you now have 10 years to touch the money and then making sure that it's now on that 10-year strategy because you probably lost the option that used to be the old stretched out IRA because of the SECURE Act. So if you do decide to take it out, do you then just, I mean, would your advice be that you should just take it out, but then reinvest it into a brokerage or, or what do you, what do you do with it? I'm going to assume your advice is not go crazy and spend it. 
First, we have to look at your tax implication. Like we have to look at, if you say, I want to take it all out in this full lump sum, I have to worry about what your total income looks like for the year. Because if you're, for example, 65 or older and take all that money out of the inherited IRA as a lump sum, I have to worry about the possible ramifications on your Medicare premium. So Medicare has specific incomes thresholds that you're taking that if you take too much, they increase your Part B and Part D premiums. So we have to worry about the tax implications, the Medicare implications. And then once you have the money, let's talk it through. Are there debts you want to pay off? Are there investments you want to do? Are there education planning? Once you actually have paid the taxes and we know what the net amount is, we then can come up with a game plan specific to you. You keep saying we, which means... To me, I need some help. I'm not necessarily going to be able to run all of these calculations that figure out the right amount to take out each year by myself. Right, exactly. And that's part of our role that really when we're working with clients, we want to make sure we're reviewing what their required minimum distributions are or knowing when that 10-year strategy is going to end. And this is why working with a wealth planner makes a lot of sense. So if you need someone to help figure out, I've just received this inherited IRA. What do I do with it? Reach out to us. Call 833-PLAN-EFE. My colleagues and I are more than happy to help. And we've had this conversation thousands and thousands of times. You are listening to Everyday Wealth. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien and Jason Cowens. We're talking about how complicated it can be to receive an inheritance. Let's say that inheritance is a house. What do I need to know then? Well, one of the unique things about the home, and I guess the example, let's imagine your parents bought a home in the 80s. It's the home you grew up with. Uh, Your dad passed away and your mom remained in the house. And, And let's imagine your mom is a very efficient woman and she passes away on January 1st. What they do is they look at the value of the home as of January 1st of the date of your mom's passing and really all of the gains going way back to the 80s when your parents really bought the house, it gets stepped up. So effectively, if you and your siblings say, you know what, we've talked about it, we want to sell mom's house as quickly as possible, and it's now worth, let's say, 500000 If they sell it within a week and it sells for $500,000, there's no taxes owed. But if there's a delay and they say, we can't decide what to do with it, and it takes six, 12, sometimes two years, and the home has grown from, let's say, 500000 to $600,000, That $100,000 of profits are now taxed at long-term capital gains rates. The step-up in basis generationally goes a long, long way, but being mindful of that date-of-death valuation is what the inheritors have to focus on. And of course, there are more implications of inheriting a house. You mentioned some of them, but let's say you decide to actually keep that house. You have to look at the way the, the home is listed, and oftentimes, You'll see mom or dad say, well, my daughter lives closest to me. I'll name her as a beneficiary because she'll know what to do for her brothers and sisters. I'll let her deal with it. Well, now when mom and dad pass away and the daughter, for example, gets the home, she is not technically obligated to give her siblings any of that house money. And if she does, she now has to worry about possible gifting rules. And so the house is usually the asset that people think about. But I've seen the case where before mom passed away, she added that daughter who lives Mm -hmm. around the corner because she wanted to make her daughter's life easier. You know, I'll put you on the house just to make it easier. Well, and some people think that that's a hedge against losing the house if they have to go into long-term care. And all you've done is you've added a greater potential liability. 
and you've added tax multiplication. Because let's imagine that daughter is involved in a car accident and everyone sues the daughter. Well, guess what? Because your daughter is on half the house, that house becomes part of the judgment. And then further complicate things, if you have kind of generationally titled assets between, you know, mom and daughter, mom and son, whatever, the day that you put your child on that home, you've now split the cost basis, which means part of that step up is lost on that parent's passing. They, they think they're trying to make this easy. They're just opening up a whole different can of worms. And so making sure you're thinking this through and having these conversations with the family members early. If you had to decide between inheriting a house free and clear for a million dollars or inheriting an IRA for a million dollars, most people should be excited to get the home because of that step up in basis, right? So it's a million dollars. Effectively, if they sell it, it's tax-free. Whereas if you inherited that IRA for a million dollars, you're now looking at that 10-year strategy. And to keep the math really easy, over that 10-year period, if you're taking out, for example, $100,000 each year out of that inherited IRA, you now have tax implications. Jason, I'm going to pause you right there. We need to take a short break, but we are not done talking about this fascinating topic. When we get back, I want to talk about what you do if you inherit stocks or inherit annuities. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien and Jason Cowens. Stay with us. With volatile markets and talk of recession, you may be wondering what to do next. We can help. At Edelman Financial Engines, you'll find experienced wealth planners who can help you uncover potential opportunities and avoid costly mistakes. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to connect with a wealth planner. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky. I am here with Soledad O'Brien and Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner Jason Cowens. We've been talking about both the emotional side and the tactical side of receiving an inheritance because this is one of those situations where the emotional side of it, of receiving a big sum of money, can sometimes make you do crazy things. But there are a few tactical things that you can do to help make that experience smoother. This is one of those situations where I definitely think you pull in the pros. Jason has been giving some great advice during this show. So if you'd like to work with a wealth planner like Jason, just pick up the phone and call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com where you can get in touch with one of the over 300 wealth planners at EFE. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com. Now let's dive back into the tactical side of receiving an inheritance. So what about stocks, Jason? What if you inherit stocks, in fact? What I found is a lot of times when people get stocks, they have a different view of that company. They really look at, my parents love these stocks, therefore I think I should love these stocks. You just inherited all these stocks And now you have a highly concentrated position in something you probably never bought or never wanted. And they have the emotion of they feel like selling the stock would be dishonoring the parent who bought it. And and I try to have the conversation. Well, let's talk it through. If you had a million dollars today, free and clear, would you buy this stock? No, absolutely not. Then why do you hold it? 
If it's truly going to be tax-free, this is an unemotional decision because there's no tax implication. If they say, I just can't get past it, well, then let's try and extricate yourself slowly and methodically. Let's come up with an exit strategy to go, maybe you end up when it's all said and done with only 10% of this stock. That's how you're honoring your parent. And it really reduces the contrary position. So if the stock is going up or down, you're not feeling the full swings of one particular company in your portfolio. What about annuities? What if you inherit an annuity? Annuities get really complicated. So I, I guess an easy example is if it's a, a non-qualified annuity, meaning it wasn't in an IRA or Roth, that when you receive or inherit that annuity, we actually have to take a step back because the annuity was growing tax deferred. So the way you have to look at it is the taxation of the annuity is based on how it grew. So an easy example, if mom and dad put $50,000 into an annuity and it's now worth $200,000. Although you inherited $200,000, the way Uncle Sam views it, that $150,000 of growth that's under the annuity, that will be taxable at ordinary income, not the lower typically long-term capital gain. So really, if you receive that annuity, if you simply cashed it out, really that $150,000 of profits is now felt as ordinary income. And what I found is most people don't realize that the annuity company doesn't say it's like you have $200,000 coming your way and they go, great, send me the money. Annuity companies often don't talk about the tax implication. And so really I've had the conversation where somebody says, I just cashed out this annuity I inherited. I go, oh, dear Lord. Well, what's the alternative, Jason? I mean, it, the alternative, you know, if, if you inherit an annuity with an IRA, it's pretty clear you, you can, as you said, stretch it over 10 years and we can talk about when to take the money. What do you do? Well, the annuity typically will give you payment options. So lump sum is usually one of them, but they'll also typically give you like annuitization options. So if you say, I'd like to collect a check for the rest of my life on that payment, really, it makes it smaller bite-sized pieces of income. So the way they do it is if there's $150,000 of taxes and you stretch it out over a 10-year period, now it's really only felt as like $15,000 of income over that 10-year period. So again, that's the strategy on let's look at what you have. Let's call that annuity company together so we have a better idea what the possible tax implications are, what your payment options are, what other options you have with that carrier before you simply just, you know, sign off. Yes, send me a check for the lump sum. One of the other things that makes it complicated when you are planning how to give bequests is you have to think about the financial situation of the people who are receiving these gifts, Jason, and and their tax bracket. So when you're looking at, oh, who should get the step up in basis, it might depend not just on the financial situation of the giver, but the financial situation of the recipient, right? Imagine you have one child who's a doctor and one child who's a teacher. More than likely, they're going to be at different spectrums of the tax bracket. The things that may have higher ordinary income amounts may be better suited going to the teacher who may be in the lower tax bracket. That way, as a percentage, less is going to Uncle Sam in the lower bracket than in the higher bracket. Do you have to give more to make up for the taxes that then have to be paid? And how do you calculate these things when 
you are making these plans long before you die. Well, and it's not a, a perfect science. So a lot of times what I do is like what you can talk about is before the inheritance happened. Maybe you're gifting to the child who needs a little more help today and they're in a lower bracket. Maybe that's how you make that that round circle fit in that square peg. We could go through there and say, instead of just simply doing 50-50 doctor to teacher, maybe you're changing the percentage. You can update your beneficiaries while you're still alive. It could be a much deeper, much nerdier calculation. But if you're worried about it, bring in your children's tax brackets into play to make sure that they're going to keep more of the money and Uncle Sam gets less. I think that piece is so important, too, because you might find this kid doesn't want a house and this kid doesn't need the kids college paid for. What this kid wants to do is something different. And if you just can figure out that you can navigate that conversation, one, I think you spare hurt feelings among siblings, which often happens, right? Especially if you're doing this creative math that tries to keep it all equal. And two, you can really honor everybody's feelings, the parents who want to give you the money and also the people who are the receivers to make sure that they want to use it the way they need to use it. I've been very fortunate. Most of my clients, when I talk to their kids, they're like, I want my parents to have the greatest retirement. I want nothing. Well, great. But I still think there's going to be something accidentally left, whether you like it or not. Let's talk it through. There's some clients where we're talking to their kid's CPA going, well, because I think you're going to be getting a lot of an inherited IRA, maybe not maxing out your own 401k, pre-tax 401k may make a little sense for you. But bringing that child CPA into play, now generational, or we're thinking there's probably going to be something left in the IRA because there's wealth here. Now the parents are really thinking through this child is in a higher tax bracket. I want to leave them X. This child's in a lower tax bracket. I want to leave them Y. If I'm the parent in this situation, Jason, and it's my estate that we're talking about. Can I empower you, my financial advisor, to make it equal after I die based on the tax brackets of the kids? No, that's what the trust will allow you to do. So the trust allows the successor trustee to think that through. Because a lot of times, it just says, let's make sure the kids get the things. And the behind the scenes, if you have two kids, but one child is the successor trustee, behind the scenes, the kids can figure out how do we make this equal based on taxes, and the trustee can divvy up the assets as they feel and still honor the language of the trust. Oh, my gosh. How would you manage this by yourself? Literally. I mean, from the parent's end, where you have to do math before you really even know how long you're going to live, frankly? Will you actually need that money? Will you be leaving nothing at all because you you had to use that money to get through the next 10, 15 years? And from the receiver's end, to make sure that you're not, you know, doing yourself in on, on taxes you hadn't expected to pay or or getting as some kind of a, a gift that ends up making you pay more and, and trashes your finances eventually. That's why working with a wealth planner typically will kind of alleviate that stress. My job is to point out the potholes in your plan, to let's talk about avoiding them, minimizing them, have the conversation early and often, and just getting a fresh perspective, which is why we like to have clients call us before anything has gone awry. And right, reaching out at 833-PLAN-EFE is a great way to get another set of eyeballs on your situation. Even if you're working with someone and you want a second opinion, reach out, give us a call.
You know what else is emotional? Divorce. Been there, done that, don't recommend it. And here's the thing, getting an inheritance, it's just one form of sudden wealth. But another life event that can feel sudden is when you get a large chunk of money in a divorce settlement. It's been yours all along. It's just a redistribution of money, but it comes with a ton of emotions for many, many people. And for a lot of people, it might be the first time that they are in a position to handle the finances all by themselves. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien and Jason Cowens. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. We're going to dig into divorce when we come back. In today's volatile market, you might be tempted to sit things out, thinking, I'll just wait until the market calms down. Talk to an Edelman Financial Engine's wealth planner to learn more about the risks of market timing and other potentially costly mistakes. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to get connected. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. About 10 years ago, I had a client come in where she had just recently been divorced and her husband had taken care of all the finances. And so now she had this amount of money thrust in her lap and she needed to know what to do with it. And it was very emotional. It was the separation of the marriage, the moving out of the house, what to do with the kids and things like that. And the reality is this is way more common than I care. And this is oftentimes where you have one spouse who may be handling all the finances and another spouse who is not part of that side of the conversation. When you get this money post-divorce, what do you do? Hi, I'm Jason Cowens with Element Financial Engines, and I'm speaking with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky. Divorce is so complicated, often so messy, so emotional. When you've been married a long time and you've been left out of the finances, what do you do starting day one? You are so right, Jason. And and you're preaching to the choir when you are talking to me. I got divorced myself about 15 years ago. I know exactly how emotional it can be. And it's a very easy thing to get wrong because in a divorce, if you take the house rather than the retirement account, you're making a mistake because that house has liabilities that just come with living in it. It's an asset that is likely going to cost you money, whereas the IRA has at least an opportunity to grow. And so a lot of women going through divorce get this advice, like, don't take the house, don't take the house, don't take the house. Some people, they don't want that home that they built a life together, that life has now come to an end. So looking at the total pool and saying, what assets do you want? Take this, not that. That's going to be part of the planning process. Going through, and unfortunately, I've had this conversation before where clients say, we're headed for divorce. What should I do? Start to have an inventory of your assets. Think through the strategy on what does your new life look like, and let's go through it together. Maybe there are better assets for you to take than others. We can talk to your attorney. We can talk to your CPA, and we can do the team planning approach to make sure when the dust settles, you have good, fresh start potential. But before you can talk to my CPA, I have to talk to you. Exactly. And I, and I would say that, that my, my corny answer is I'm better gauged at being in the middle. I can have the conversation between the CPA and the attorney because oftentimes they don't talk. So I, I'm the middle person, making sure that I am communicating and walking up to that line on, here's the way I think the tax implication would be. Let's bring your CPA to vet the idea and really have your team work it out together. 
here's the opportunity to engage with a wealth planner in your corner. And if you don't have one, call us, 833-PLAN-EFE. This is complicated. This is a new uncharted territory for you. And this is a great opportunity to seek out help and give us a call at 833-PLAN-EFE. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engine's wealth planner, Jason Cowens. Divorce obviously can get pretty nasty, especially when it comes to the money part. It's a pretty good idea to have a financial planner who's sort of there to help you navigate what can be emotionally devastating and then also financially very, very tricky. The reality is you've got all these things that need to be unwound and then rewound into something else. And it's it's just super complicated. And the sad truth right now is that the divorce rate among people over 50, it is going up fast. An April 2021 report from the Census Department found that about 35% of all of the Americans who got divorced in the prior calendar year were 55 or older. That is more than twice the rate of any other age group surveyed. And a lot of these spouses, a lot of these ex-spouses will soon be getting large chunks of money and you might not have any idea what to do with it. And this, by the way, is not gender specific. In some marriages, one spouse may take care of the finances due to aptitude or due to interest. And it's not always the breadwinner, which is why it's so important to make sure that you have a partner, a good financial planner to help you, especially if like Jason's client, you are the spouse who hasn't been active in managing the money before because that's what it's going to take to help you make this fresh new financial start. So when you have someone, Jason, who who comes into the office and and they're in this very situation, right? They haven't been the one handling the investments. They haven't been the one really handling the money. They may not even actually fully know where all the money is. What's the first steps toward getting them on the right path? How do you How do you even begin? I always start with the expense sheet conversation. I I hate calling budget because I don't think budgets work, but really understand what are your outflows? What do we need to worry about in the next 12 months versus the next three years, next five years? If you're getting spousal support, how long is that going to last? Because there may be a five-year lead up to now there's no more spousal support. We now have to rely on the assets. Can you be gainfully employed? If you weren't the breadwinner and you were the the stay-at-home parent, what are the skills that you can bring? What skills can you get better at in the next five years? And really start to game plan expenses, future earnings, all those early conversations of getting a fresh start. This may be a great time to reach out to a neutral party person and give one of my colleagues a call by simply calling 833-PLAN-EFE. This is a great time to seek help to make sure that you understand what does this look like if you're pending divorce is long, short, messy, good, whatever. But give us a call, 833-PLAN-EFE. So let's just tick off what we've talked about, Soledad. We've talked about receiving an inheritance, how to manage a divorce settlement, but there are other kind of windfalls too, right? Maybe you win a lawsuit. In in the US, there are about 40 million lawsuits every single year. There could be a lot of money changing hands there, or people scratch off a card and they win 
a million dollars. They win $10 million. Sometimes they pull a, pull a lever at a, at a casino and they win a couple hundred thousand dollars from a slot machine and that can have a material impact. We've all heard stories about them completely blowing through their money. 70%. This is an insane percentage. It 70% of people who win the lottery or who get some kind of big windfall, they end up broke in just a few years. That's uh, according to the National Endowment for Financial Education. So then, Jason, let's take a moment to summarize three things that you need to know, that you need to know if you end up getting a big windfall so you don't end up either blowing through it completely or broke at the end of just a couple of years. Start with a plan. Whatever that plan is, write it down. Two, really looking at your expenses, looking at your line items. What are the near-term expenses? What are the far-term expenses? Think through how do you use this windfall to your advantage. And number three, get help. This is a great opportune time to reach out to someone, whether it's a tax person, an attorney, a financial advisor, make sure you have that resource. And here locally, we have lots of relationship with those people. So if you don't have those people in your corner, give us a call. 833-PLAN-EFE. Either me or my colleagues are more than happy to have the conversation that we can help introduce you to that team of people to help create the plan. Jason, such good advice. I mean, I think the point here is that having a team, having the right people by your side in any situation where there's a lot of money involved, even a really positive one, like a sudden windfall can be a necessity. And the wealth planners at Edelman Financial Engines like you, we know that you all work as fiduciaries. And that means that you put your clients' needs first. We're out of time for the show today. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to talk to you on the air. Just visit everydaywealth.com to submit your question. And together with an EFE wealth planner, we could talk through potential solutions that would be very personal to your life. And if you want to catch a show that you might have missed, you can always listen to our podcast. Often our podcast will have an extended version of the show that we're just not able to air on the radio because we are constrained by time. You can download our podcast at everydaywealth.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review. We love feedback. Take a second and subscribe as well so that you never miss an episode. Have a great weekend, everybody. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and Jason Cowens. Tune in each week for fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.